Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Isn't this what we do? How many times have you been praying, like, maybe the funds have run out and the bills are due? And you're like, Lord, what am I going to do? I need you. And he just shows up and he's like, I got you. And then next month, you're like, Lord, what am I going to do? I'm not going to make it. And he's like, really? I got you. I'm not saying Jesus is always going to pay your bills. Don't go. We're not going that way. But he knows how to show up at the right moment, at the right time to supply your needs. Jesus was never short on giving timeless advice to the people of his day, and it applies to us now too. Like this, how can a man add more time in his life by worrying? We waste a lot of time worrying about life instead of living it how Jesus would want us to. Things like, when will that bill get paid? Or that sickness we just like healing for? Or that heartache we're afraid we're going to face? Pastor James, through his message today, echoes the words of Jesus for those times that we worry. He says, I got you. Today, cast your worries on Jesus. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Mark chapter 8 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Feeding of the 4,000, totally different story. Here's how we know this. Well, number one, he's in a different area, okay, if that's not enough for you. He's talking to a different group of people as well. The area of the Decapolis, remember I told you that's primarily a Gentile? It's kind of a mix of a Gentile and Jewish population. So probably most of this crowd is going to be Gentile listening to Jesus. For three days, they hung on every word he taught them. For three solid days. The feeding of the 5,000, that all happened in one day. One day. Jesus showed up, taught them, you know, and it was a full day for sure. But then he didn't want to send those guys away hungry. And so he fed them. But here, these guys have been with him for three whole days, and they've been listening to Jesus do what? Teach the word of God. I know we want to feed people. We want to take care of their physical needs. Jesus wants to take care of their physical needs. But Jesus will always, always, always address the spiritual needs First, first, we like to turn it around. Let's get them some food, and then we'll teach them the Bible. No, teach them the Bible, then give them some food. Talk to them about Jesus, and then address their physical needs. You need both. You need the spiritual nourishment, but you also could use the physical nourishment as well, whoever that individual or group of people may be. That's always the best formula. It's always the best setup. We've seen ministries. We've partnered with other ministries especially within the homeless population, that this is what they do. And I always, always, always recommend this because this is what Jesus did. He taught them first, and then he addressed their physical needs. He cared about people, and he fed them. It's exactly what he does here. For three whole days, this crowd of people were sticking with Jesus, and then they ran out of food. And here it says that he feels compassion for these people. What's amazing about this is the disciples have this short-term memory thing. Like, they totally forget. Like, it wasn't that long ago that they were with him, and he fed 5,000 people. It wasn't that long ago that Jesus had presented the problem to the disciples. Hey, these guys need food. And they're like, well, what are we supposed to do about that? Like, that's not our problem. He's like, no, it is your problem. Let's feed all these people. 
Here it's as if that story has never even happened for these disciples. They're just like clueless as can be. And here it didn't really even seem like it's actually time-wise that long after the feeding of the 5,000. But Jesus is the one who, who addresses the need first. He says, I feel compassion. I feel sorry for these people. And he goes on to say, they've been with me for three days. They have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will faint along the way. For some of them have come a long distance. So word was getting out and people were just continually flocking to Jesus because they want to see the miracle worker. They want to see the guy who can divide bread and fish and feed thousands of people. They want to see the guy who can heal deaf people's ears. They want to see the guy who can cause the blind to see again. They want to see that guy. And of course they do. That should be our response anytime for you and I, even if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. If he's showing up somewhere, you should want to be there. I mean, that's just it. Oh, I'll get there later. Like, that's a ridiculous response. If, like, Jesus shows up somewhere, where is he moving? Then I want to be there. I want to be there. Here's what's amazing about Jesus. He's omnipresent. He can be everywhere. Now, I know physically Jesus, on the, he was here in, at, you know, one town per place and all that good stuff, but being part of the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, who is Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit, the triune God is omnipresent everywhere. So if he's moving, his spirit is moving somewhere, I would encourage you, well, figure out where that's at and be a part of that. What's beautiful about that is it can be in various places at the same time. He's not just limited to like, well, he's only really working in this city right now, and so we'll just hope he kind of shows up to Galveston one day. No, he's working in Galveston. He's working in Galveston. I would even go as far as to say, he's working here. He's working here. Why? Because lives are being transformed because of the word of God. Because of the word of God. We don't have cool programs. We don't. We don't have flash. And we don't because we're not interested in that. What we're interested in is giving anybody and everybody the word of God. We want them to meet Jesus. We want them to know Jesus because he is the one who can transform lives. The other thing that's cool about that is he's also moving in other areas, even on our own island. Other groups are seeing Jesus moving in a tremendous way. And again, that's why I would encourage you, if you ever feel like, man, I should, I should plug in. I should help out somewhere. Yes, you should. Make sure that place is being empowered by the Holy Spirit. And you get there. Get there. Be a part of that. Be a part of that. Why would we want to miss it? I don't want to be like the disciples in this story. Because they're with Jesus physically. And there's a huge crowd of 4,000 people. That's just the men. That's not counting the women and the children. And they totally miss it. And just like the feeding of the 5,000, they were there and they wanted nothing more than for the crowds to leave. They were too tired for ministry. Well, this is your only shot at doing ministry, people. This life on this planet is your only shot at doing ministry. You don't do this in heaven. Yeah, I know we rule and reign with him, and I have no clue what that means, but I'm pretty sure it's not being a greeter at Calvary Galveston, because Calvary Galveston doesn't exist in heaven, a new heaven and a new earth. This is your chance. This is your time. For such a time as this, he's given you opportunity. The disciples are with Jesus, and they're like, oh, here we go again. More people, more problems, right? It's like, no, like, serve, like, minister. They have needs. Jesus sees them for who they are and for the needs that they have. Why don't we see them for who they are and the needs that they have? Why are none of the disciples moved with compassion? Because they're just like me. They're just like me. 
It's like, Jesus, man, we've been cruising and touring all around. Man, I'm tired. I want to go home. What's, when's, when are the demands going to end? He's like, they're never going to end. You signed up for this. When you became a Christian, you signed up for this. That's it. Your break, it'll come. It'll come. But you signed up for this. I didn't sign up to be a Christian so I'd be like working all the time. No, you signed up to be a Christian so that you'd be serving all the time, whatever form or fashion that looks like. Do you need breaks? Yeah, Jesus took breaks. He took time to get away and to rest and all the good stuff. And the disciples did that. We also should be doing that as well. But in these moments, when the crowds are there, hey, guess what? It's time to serve. It's time to serve. See the people. Jesus sees them. He's like, I don't want to send them home. They're going to faint. And just, it's not going to be good if we send them away. Verse 4, his disciples replied, how are we supposed to find enough food to feed them out here in the wilderness? Pretty dumb question, huh? Yeah, it is. It is. You can say that. I've asked many dumb questions to Jesus in my lifetime. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and I won't stop. They'll keep coming. I can promise you that. I'll always be asking him pretty dumb questions, right? Because he's always answered them, and it's always the same thing. He's like, have you not read my Bible? And I'm like, yeah, I have, but I forget sometimes, or fear, or panic, or anxiety. His disciples are like, Jesus, come on. How are we supposed to feed all these people? He's like, you don't remember? <laughs> have, you, have you never read the Bible? What's missed in Mark's gospel, he's addressing a different audience, but what we know, if you look at the gospels in a chronological sense, right after... Um, Jesus had walked on water, and right after he had fed the 5,000, walked on water, he made this great proclamation to his disciples. I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. That's John chapter 6, 22 through 40. He talks about that whole story. Jesus made this great proclamation to his disciples. I am the bread of life. And he even covered that whole story of the wilderness wanderings and how he had provided food for all the Israelites. Every single day, they were in the wilderness. He's like, I'm the bread of life. I'm man. And they're like, Jesus, where are we going to find bread? After he just said that not that long ago. And they're like, he's like, I can't even imagine. I would love to see the video of this, of like just his expressions, his face. That would be classic. But that's the question they ask. Where are we supposed to find enough food? And I don't fault these guys because they're in the wilderness. And so they're always thinking as far as their own means and their own abilities, just like I do, just like you do at times. Jesus, how is this going to work? How can I possibly figure this out? How can I possibly work this out? And he's like, well, if you stop looking at yourself and look to me, you'd probably be okay. Bread of life, bread of life. Where are we going to find bread for all these people? The other key to this little verse is the them. For all of them or for all of these people. That's key within this verse. Because again, remember, this is a mixed crowd of Jews and Gentiles. And you got some good old Jewish boys walking with Jesus who are like, well, hold on, hold on. We got to provide bread for them, for those guys? Yeah, you do. Why? Well, because Jesus loves them. He loves them. Fill in the blank. Who are the them? Just fill in the blank. Hey, guess what? Jesus loves those guys. Well, they don't align with us theologically. Doesn't matter. I don't agree with their lifestyle. Doesn't matter. I get it. Guess what? He still loves them. How do I know that? Because he loved me, and he still loves me. I was wretched, wretched, and he still died for me, and he still loves me. And if he loves me and can save James Grizzle, well, nobody's too far gone. No one. 
They see the people and they see specific people within the crowd as a problem. They also identify the fact that the location, which again, just makes me smile because it's like the wilderness. And, and immediately in my brain, I go back to the wilderness wanderings in the book of Exodus. And Jesus is like, seriously? I fed like over a million people every single day with manna and quail. And they did nothing but complain. And I also gave them water, more than enough water, for every single day they were in the wilderness. And you, you're saying that this is a problem. It wasn't just but a few weeks ago, I multiplied a kid's little Lunchable and fed 15,000 people totally. And you're asking me, how's this going to work, Jesus? But isn't this what we do? How many times have you been praying, like, maybe the funds have run out and the bills are due? And you're like, Lord, what am I going to do? I need you. And he just shows up and he's like, I got you. And then next month, you're like, Lord, what am I going to do? It's, I'm not going to make it. And he's like, really? I got you. I'm not saying Jesus is always going to pay your bills. Don't go. We're not going that way. But he knows how to show up at the right moment, at the right time to supply your needs. Jesus asks them the question, well, how much bread do you have? Seven loaves, they replied. So even some of them, I mean, I know they're going to be sharing some of these loaves, but there's not a loaf per individual, but that's what they have. We have seven loaves. Collectively, this is what we have, Jesus. So Jesus told all the people, the mass, the group, there's this 4,000, 4,000 men plus you know, women and children. So you could be looking at upwards of 10 to 12,000 people total, okay? He has them all sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves. He thanked God for them, which is always smart to do, with whatever resources you have, okay? Whether that's thanking God for food or thanking God for what actually is in your bank account, it's always good to start each and every day by just lifting that up to him and saying, Lord, it's not much, but I thank you for what I have. And just surrender to him and watch what he does. Watch what he does with it. So he took it, he thanked God for them. He broke them into pieces, the bread. He gave them to his disciples. The word there, gave, is imperfect. And so technically what that means is he kept giving. He kept breaking bread and kept giving it to the disciples. The seven loaves never really diminished. He just kept breaking bread and kept giving, kept giving. He gave them to the disciples who distributed the bread to the crowd. A few small fish were found, too. So Jesus blessed these and told the disciples to distribute them. So he's breaking apart the fish. So you got little fish sandwiches that are being passed out to everybody. And everybody's good. Everybody's having a good time. They're satisfied. Verse 8 says, they ate as much as they wanted, as much as they wanted. They had as much as they wanted from seven loaves that was given to Jesus by the disciples. And Jesus was able to take what they gave and multiply that enough to where everybody in the crowd had more than enough, more than enough. It says, afterwards, the disciples picked up seven large baskets of leftover food. What's interesting about that term there, baskets, is it's a totally different word from the word for baskets in the feeding of the 5,000. Baskets for the feeding of the 5,000 that they collected all the leftovers with was like... Um, kind of big enough to, almost like a picnic basket. It was big enough to hold like a meal for two people, okay? Those are the baskets they use in the feeding of the 5,000 to collect all the leftovers. They each had a basket full of leftover bread. This time they have baskets, like baskets big enough for the Apostle Paul to hide in and to be let down over the wall in Jerusalem from Acts chapter 9, I believe it was, 925. Big baskets. These are baskets that they would use to put like fish in. And they get the catch of the day. 
load them up in these big baskets. Well, they don't have to be too huge because I guess the Apostle Paul was kind of a short guy. I mean, they don't have to be like gigantic baskets. They could be big enough for him to at least hide in. But these are big baskets. So they have seven large baskets for leftover food. And there were about 4,000 men in the crowd that day. And Jesus sent them home after they had eaten. He took care of their physical needs. And then he sends them away to go back home. Verse 10, it says, immediately after this, he got in the boat with his disciples and crossed over to the region of Dalmanutha. Okay, where is that? I don't know. Um, And actually, most experts don't really know either. So I'm in good company. But it's right there along the Sea of Galilee. That's what we know. So he finishes feeding these guys. The disciples have to get the baskets, and they need the bigger baskets because there's just so much left over. And they fill up the baskets, and then they hop in the boat. And then the disciples make a critical error that as a disciple, as a student, students have certain roles and jobs And it's always the disciples, it's always the student's job to bring the food with you. And these guys leave the food behind. (laughs) They leave the food. It's going to tell us that in a second. So they get in the boat and they cruise on over to another part of the Sea of Galilee. Verse 11, this is where we get into our uh, little confrontation. It says, when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had arrived, they came and started to argue with him or debate with him testing him. They demanded that he show the miraculous sign, or more technically, just a sign from heaven to prove his authority. What's fascinating about this is, why weren't these guys in the Decapolis with the feeding of the 4,000? Oh, because those bad guys, the Gentiles, live there, and they're not going to spoil themselves by being in contact with Gentile heathens, more than likely. Because it's fascinating that as soon as he shows up on the shore, they're like, okay, there he is. Let's go get him. They probably knew where he was the whole time. They could have witnessed the feeding of the 4,000 with their own eyes. You want a sign? There's your sign. They show up and they have no intent. They don't even care. If Jesus would have written something in the sky, they would not have believed him. Their hearts are already set on the fact that we hate you, we are going to kill you, and nothing you do or say is going to change that. Nothing you do or say is going to change that. Their hearts were already set on that. So they show up. They're starting to argue with him. They want to debate with him. They're testing him, demanding that he shows a sign from heaven. To what? To prove his authority. My goodness. To prove his authority. The blind have seen. The deaf can hear. The mute can speak. Dead, risen back to life. Demon-possessed people set free. Walks on water. Feeds 5,000 plus. Feeds 4,000 plus. We want more proof. You want more proof? Are you kidding me? Like, what extra proof do you need? And he tells them, verse 12, he says, when he heard this, he sighed deeply. Now, this sighing deeply was not the same as when he healed that deaf man. That was a sigh of compassion, a brokenheartedness because of the sinful effect that sin has had on the world and humanity. This is a different kind of sigh. This is one of those sighs that, like, we all know because we've all given it. Right? And you've received it too, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, you've, this is one of those ones where somebody comes at you and they got beef with you or problems or they ask you some ridiculous question. You're just like, oh, gosh, okay. Like, breathe in. 10 seconds, right? Is that what I got to do? Count to 10? Count back from 10 or something? This is that kind of sigh. He said, sigh deeply in his spirit and said, why do these people keep demanding a miraculous sign? He calls them a rebellious generation, is what he calls them. He says, I tell you the truth, I will not give this generation any such sign. 
Now, Mark doesn't include what Matthew includes, where in Matthew chapter 16, verse 4, where he says, the only sign you'll get is that of the sign of Jonah, which that means that he was going to go down into the depths for three days and then rise again. That's the sign. He's like, you want a sign? That'll be your sign. Beyond that, I'm not giving you anything. I don't have to give you anything. I don't have to prove anything to you. I don't have to prove anything to you. You want to know who I am? Ask other people. You want to know who I am? Watch what I do. Take this word that you supposedly love and cherish and care about and see if I match up with it. I don't have to prove anything to you. And I love that. And that's exactly how you and I should be around religious people. I don't have to prove anything to you. Why don't you do this? And you're not doing it like this. And I don't have to prove anything to you. I, I get nothing. I am his. He is mine. I'm a child of God. I don't have to prove anything to you. Look at my life. I'll live my life out in the open, transparent as can be. But I don't have to prove anything. You want to know who I am? Well, ask my family. They live in close proximity to me every day of the week. Nobody knows me better than my family and especially my wife. <laughs> and she'll tell you, yeah, he's kind of messed up. Um, he's got problems. Uh, and, and she would be true. That's accurate. I do. Is he a sinner? Oh, he's a sinner. Absolutely. But he's a sinner saved by grace. He's a sinner saved by grace. And God is working in and through him all the time, all the time. Same for you. So if somebody's coming and they're hostile towards you and your relationship with the Lord, just, I don't have to prove to you anything. I don't have to. And I love that. Jesus is like, dude, just stop. Stop. I have nothing to prove to you. And then he leaves. And he just walks away. It's really good. It's a good lesson to learn. Just how to walk away. The value of walking away speaks volumes. That's like the most epic mic drop ever, right? Like you're mad at somebody uh, and they just turn around and walk away. Oh, that infuriates you, right? You're just like, oh, how dare they, right? But that person is totally set free. Totally set free and just walking away like, oh, I don't have to prove to you anything. You want to know my life? Well, this is my life. This is who I am. He gets back in the boat and, and left those guys and crossed to the other side of the lake. That's good. He teaches his disciples, we don't have time for this. We're still on a mission. We're still on a mission. We got to get to somebody else. But on the journey across the lake, he's going to use that encounter with the Pharisees as an opportunity to teach his disciples about the dangers of the Pharisees and their doctrine, or that's a fancy church word for teaching. That's all that means. Doctrine equals teaching. That's it. That's all it means. He gets back into the boat. They're going over to the other side, verse 14. But the disciples had forgotten to bring any food. You had baskets of food. You had, what did you do with the baskets of food? Did they send them away with the people? If that's the case, okay, then I understand that. That's very nice to do. However, there's no indication that they sent the people away with baskets of food. They just forgot to bring the food. That's the role of the disciple. With the rabbi and the disciple, the teacher and the student, the student is always responsible for bringing the food. Always. Always. And they knew this. And now they're sweating in the middle of a boat on the Sea of Galilee. They're like, oh, man, like, did you grab the food? I didn't grab the food. I was like, you were going to grab the food. I didn't grab the food. That's not my job. I'm one of his top three. What are you talking about? That's below me, right? That's probably the conversations that they were having. That's like Simon's job, or not Simon. It's a, Simon the Zealot. Nobody likes that guy too much. He's crazy. Like, or it's Judas. Let's make him. No, he carries the money. Don't let that guy handle the food, right? Like, Somebody forgot to grab the food, and now they're going across the lake, and that's all they can think about. That's all they can think about. 
Thanks for joining us today here on Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. We're walking through the Gospel of Mark, one of the accounts of Jesus' life while he was here on the earth. Mark offers unique perspectives on this time, emphasizing Jesus' servanthood to the people that he met. Jesus loved practically, often, and with everyone. What a kind and humble servant we get to serve. If you need to hear this message again or you'd like to catch up on previous teachings, visit our website at breadforthebroken.com. Once you're there, simply click on the Listen tab and feel free to explore the variety of verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter Bible teachings. Bread for the Broken is a ministry of Calvary Galveston. And if you're ever in the Galveston area, we would love to have you come visit us. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. for a time of worship and Bible study. Our Thursday night Bible study starts at 7 p.m., and you're welcome to come join us for both. Our atmosphere at Calvary Galveston is relaxed, so feel free to come just as you are. For more information, visit our website. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. You can get directions there as well. We're excited to meet you and spend some time worshiping with you. That's all the time that we have for today, but we're so glad that you listened in to hear from God's Word. We encourage you to read ahead in the book of Mark and to gear up for what's ahead in this New Testament book. There's so much to learn, so much to know about Jesus. So make plans to join us again, right here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.